Curie de Mardi Gras, which roughly kind of translates into the run of the Mardi Gras, is an old tradition in South Louisiana where there is usually a band of men. It's a traditionally, it is a man's run. My brother was one of them for many years. Tradition has it that they dress in traditional costume. Normally, you'll have a capuchon, which is a large, tall hat, and there's masks that they wear. Normally, they were made out of wire and just painted with a face on it. And the reason for the costumes and the masks was because this is a time of revelry, and there's a lot of drinking involved and a lot of cutting up and a lot of mischief. So it was kind of to protect one's identity. You didn't want to be pointed out as the couillon who uh, made a fool of himself on Mardi Gras Day. They meet early in the morning, the Capitan's house, they get together and they would go out along the countryside and they would go to farms, ranches, begging for ingredients to go into the gumbo for tonight. Property owner would normally kind of say, well, what are you going to do for me? And the Capitan would say, they will dance for you. So he waves his flag and they have to do a dance. And normally there's a Cajun band that accompanies the riders. The crew dances and cuts up and stands up on their horses and makes all kind of monkey shines to impress the farm landowner. And at the end, he rewards them by giving them a chicken or other ingredients for a gumbo, sausage, rice, sweet potatoes, anything like that. And when we hear about the chicken chases, he'll take a chicken and throws it up in the air, and all of the crew chases this poor chicken and catches it and is brought to the community gumbo that night. The whole community goes in and enjoys the gumbo that is made with all of the catches of the day. It's a very unique tradition, something I'm very proud of, something that is very near and dear to me, but not many traditions have held as the Cody of the Mardi Gras. You know, not many people can claim that something that attracts people from all over the world to come and see, and it, it really is a sight. And if you ever get the chance to make it down to South Louisiana, and see the Curie de Mardi Gras in Mamou, it is definitely worth your time. Starting, we'll say that is usually the Mardi Gras song by the Bullfrog Brothers. It's a haunting little song that kind of starts out, and everyone just gets really excited, and the crowd gets revved up, and, and they take out for the countryside. It doesn't. <laughs> Dance for him. Very cool. Do whatever you got to do to get his chicken or his sauce or his rice or his money. Anything we can do to get the goods for the supper that night. Hello and welcome to the Just a Story podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm Sam. And we're here to tell you a story. Every week we take a look at the stories that we tell over and over again and what our myths and misdeeds, fears and fables say about us as humans. We want to thank everybody who subscribed to the show. 
We're happy to have you all on board. And those of you who have reviewed and rated our show, we really, really appreciate it. You're our favorites. And you're all invited to the gumbo. All right, so today we are going to be talking about Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras. So we are native Louisianians, even though we're living in Austin, Texas now. It's true. I, however, hail from the Northern Hemisphere within the state, and when I married into the Cajun culture, I'd say like, oh, shall you from up north and all this stuff. So I had a little bit of culture shock when I really found out about Mardi Gras as it exists in South Louisiana for the first time. Well, so what did you think of Mardi Gras before you found out about Southern Louisiana Mardi Gras? We had little piddling parades and stuff in North Louisiana. And when I was in high school, we even started getting time off from school for Mardi Gras. So that was pretty cool. I guess what I thought went on in South Louisiana was, you know, New Orleans Mardi Gras. The floats and the the booze and the boobs and the beads and Bourbon Street and, you know, the girls gone wild. And that does happen in New Orleans. Yeah, fair enough. Yes, it absolutely does. It Everything you've heard is true. And worse. I always like to mention that the flashing, it's never anything you want to see. That's not true. It is sometimes. No. Sometimes. Who no. I once. <laughs> At one time. Okay. I wouldn't go for that purpose. You should go for the rest of it, for the pageantry. Food. Food and the, the booze, definitely the booze, and just, like, the atmosphere. It's so much fun. Don't go to Bourbon Street, though, unless you don't want to move for seven hours. You're going to be packed in there pretty tight. But while the New Orleans Mardi Gras is a lot of fun, and it it is what it is. It's a massive celebration. It's, I mean, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with adult entertainment all week. (laughs) But there is the traditional Mardi Gras. Right, and that led to more culture shock. And so the traditional Mardi Gras is what happens in the country. Some people call it the country Mardi Gras, but it's officially, I guess you can say, the Coye de Mardi Gras, and that means the Mardi Gras run. So this takes place in rural Louisiana, specifically in rural southern Louisiana. And in outlying areas, this tradition has existed since the arrival of the Acadians from Nova Scotia, correct? Right. The Cajuns, as most people call them and we call ourselves. Most people know us as a really good type of seasoning. That's true. Our food category. Yes. And that is true. But it's not just gumbo, y'all. But the the Cajuns were a group of French settlers that were in Nova Scotia. Which uh, is in Canada. Right. And it was the Acadia area. And they were forcibly removed for their religion. Right, because they were Catholic. And they would not bow to the British crown. Okay, this is all making sense. So if you've ever met a Cajun, they don't do much bowing. And in the Grand Derangement, they were... The what? The Grand Derangement. Okay. They were kicked out of their homes, and they traveled by boat down the eastern seaboard, and eventually landed in the French-speaking area in Louisiana, because they were originally hailed from France and spoke French. Right, and they stopped there, unpacked their wares, and started making a home because they could be Catholic and speak French, and that sounded good to them. Right, and well, interestingly enough, there are some French and Cajun peppered names throughout the eastern seaboard because some people kind of got off and settled along the way. There are several in the Carolinas. And in Maine. Right, but they don't have crawfish, they have lobster. Well, I grew up knowing that the lobster actually traveled down with the Cajuns from Canada and from that area 
and became the crawfish. Right, because he got smaller and smaller along the way. No, it was hotter. Because it was hotter. It's my grandma told me. Your grandma <laughs> is a source of marine biological knowledge that I would not dare impugn. That's science, folks. <laughs> Science according to Mom J. Asha. So the Cajun French people brought along with them a lot of ancient traditions from France. Uh, one of those is what came to be known as the Coyier de Manigas. Let's pretend for a moment that we did not grow up absolutely saturated in purple, green, and gold. And let's ask a very basic question. What is Mardi Gras? No, that is a good question. So Mardi Gras is related to the Catholic Church. I didn't realize how much my Catholicism would help out with this podcast. I know, between your knowledge of the DSM and your cradle Catholic status, we have basically no research to do. The 40 days prior to Easter is Lent, so that's a time of fasting and repentance to prepare yourself for Easter and the coming of Jesus and stuff. And the Easter bunny coming. Mostly it's about the eggs and the chocolate. Right. Jesus comes and gives you chocolate bunnies or whatever. I don't remember exactly. I didn't pay attention. The day before this time of Pence called Lent is a big celebration. That is called Mardi Gras, which means Fat Tuesday. Okay. So what happens after Fat Tuesday? Skinny Wednesday? Well, it's Ash Wednesday. Okay. And so that just marks the beginning of Lent. And that's when people go to church and are marked by ashes to show their repentance. And they eat fried catfish. I didn't know about Ash Wednesday. And one of my friends came to school and she had her ashes on her head. And I licked my thumb and tried to wipe them off. And she got really upset. Wow, that was a huge faux pas. I know. And so Fat Tuesday is the end of the carnival season. Carnival yes. is... Farewell to flesh. Right. Uh, and that's kind of what's considered the Mardi Gras season, starting at Epiphany. You know what that is? Wise men? Yes. When the wise men came, found Jesus, or uh, the festival of it, and it goes all the way to usually February and March as it goes by the Catholic calendar. And so this is a big time of celebration prior to the time of fasting. It is a time where you're allowed to party and just have a good time and kind of get it all out of your system before you spend 40 days of prayer and fasting. I mean, I know it's done in other places, but that's kind of the logic and thinking of Cajuns in general. Like, I can't imagine that Mother Teresa would have taken part in Mardi Gras. Like, I feel like that is such a folksy interpretation of what you need to do in order to prepare yourself for Lent. Get it all out of your system. It's a very work hard, play hard culture. Yeah, I know. So that's Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras is the time to live it up before you have to give it up. You can put that on a bumper sticker. I just came up with it. <laughs> <laughs> just a story, Inc. So, the Corriere de Mardi Gras. I feel like New Orleans is a spectacle, and people who go can't believe this happens every year, and they just want to soak it all up, take it all in, go back and tell their friends. But I feel like the Corriere de Mardi Gras may just be a little bit more unbelievable. It's even more chaotic, if that's possible. It's had a kind of a resurgence in interest over the last few years, with True Detective taking place in rural Louisiana and having scenes and referencing the Corriere. So if you saw that show on HBO, which is amazing. And if you haven't seen it... Stop. Go spend 12 hours. We'll be here when you get back. Don't worry. It's We're not going anywhere. freaking one of the best things I've seen on TV. Okay. Okay, back. Alright, you see that like, 30 second clip of the guys in big pointy hats with weird costumes and weird masks standing on horses? That's what we're talking about. So, it's common in rural South Louisiana, in towns like Big Mamu and or, Iota. Or T-Mamu. T-Mamu. And oh, Eunice and... Vilplot. And so, we'll try as hard as possible to describe 
this situation. There's a great documentary called Dance for the Chicken. If you want more of this information, want to see this for yourself. It was done in the 90s. It's a little dated. It's not exactly the best quality of documentary. It's very unsolved mysteries, I have to tell you. But you can stream it online for free. Folk stream. In this tradition, you have groups of usually men. They are dressed in costume. Head to toe. And these costumes are extremely elaborate. Traditionally, the women work on these for months. Right. They say they start the day after Mardi Gras. They start on Ash Wednesday working on next year's costumes, and they do it all year long. So everyone is decked out in costume. And so these costumes are really elaborate. And start from head to toe. They first have a hat of some sort. And traditionally, there are three types of hats. Uh, The miter. So that's like a Pope hat, right? Right. Like a, okay. At the mortarboard. Which is like a graduation hat. Right, which traditionally... Was worn by scholars. So. Right, exactly. Okay. And the capuchon, which is the pointed hat. The dunce cap. No, it's the princess hat. Oh! It's very tall. They're more than a foot tall. Coned hats that are in bright, vivid colors. All sorts of decorations on them. And a lot of crews now have gone to just wearing the capuchons. And one reason they had to do that is because people kept modernizing Mardi Gras, which is something that happens. It's always, at its best, very current and very satirical. Pokes fun of current events, in addition to taking on all the traditional roles and aspects of this long standing tradition. They also wear masks, which are very important because they don't want to be recognized on this day. They want to be free to play tricks and pull hijinks and act the fool. So they wear masks either made out of fur, which are kind of creepy. These fur masks always have this big phallic nose. I mean, you had to go there, but yeah, they kind of do. I don't I've, say phallic in every other episode. I've rather get phallic or DSM in, in one of the episodes. I'm pretty sure you could have gotten DSM in here somewhere. Um, There's some crazy. Or they make them out of window screens and paint on them or stitch into them designs and add adornments. Then that, like the cabochon, become the, what everyone does. Most people have the screen masks. There's also some face paint, and we can talk about that later. Yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. And they're all in these ridiculously amazing costumes. Right, and the costumes, we should note, when the Cadian people came here and saw Indian garb in the area, they started incorporating pieces of that culture into their costuming. So it's a lot of fringe. It's not beaded or sparkly or anything like that. It's more textile manipulation and uh, like layering of different patterns and when they'd use the material they had traditionally yes but it's now it's not like people go out and buy like boas and stuff to add it's all still very cloth based so these costumes are worn by men who are going out for the run and they used to get on horseback and they still do but now not everyone has a horse you know what everybody has in south louisiana though a pickup truck <laughs> and trailers and trailers so now they load these men into these trailers and give them beer and booze and other libations and get on their merry way but traditionally and a lot of the runs still do use the horseback riding so picture if you will i love when you get all rides early a cajun man Standing five foot two and proud. Yes, some sort of goatee. In a large princess hat, the capuchon, in purple, green, and gold colors, usually. Wearing a screen mask and an elaborate fringed outfit. 
on a horse. And then multiply that by about 300. Right. Some of them, like the one in Mamu, have up to 2,000 people that are members of the Courier. And you may ask, what the hell are these people going to do? Well, I can tell you, they're going to do whatever they've got to do to get that chicken tonight, which is now my new favorite quote ever. So the purpose of this, I'm going to go ahead and spoiler alert, it's a MacGuffin. (laughs) It's like, it's what they say they're doing. They're really just out there to have a good time. Purpose of all this is to go door to door or farm to farm, and beg for ingredients or money to go in a big pot and make a feast at the end of the day. A gumbo. A gumbo. For those of you who don't know, a gumbo is a roux-based stew, and that, like, doesn't do it justice. But, yeah, gumbo. Most people have an idea of what gumbo is. Okay, well, gumbo. Even if it isn't a good one or a real one. Like, if you came over to the house, which you're welcome to, and had some, you're all invited. You're all invited to come have gumbo. It will be ready in eight hours. <laughs> it's okay. We'll just drink beer while we wait. How long does it take to make a roux? How long it takes to make, drink a beer? So they want to go and get ingredients for their gumbo. And this all sounds very provincial and, like, stone soupy and, like... Oh, isn't that nice? Community sharing. It's not that at all. It is that. But it's it, not. No, you're wrong. That is exactly what it the spirit is representing. Of it is. This is a midwinter festival of sharing, a redistribution of the wealth, of the community coming together to help each other be able to survive. And you have to remember where these traditions come from, from very, very poor people. And these people are not exactly wealthy now, but very, very poor people that would be suffering through the winter, just waiting for the harvest to come in. And so in this festival, they were gathering ingredients and everyone was coming together to create a feast to share and to bring the community together and also help the people out that needed it. It's hearts in the right place. But you can't deny that when you look at the images or, like, when we drove through it by accident one year, the year your godson was born, and we had to get to the hospital, and it happened to be on Mardi Gras, we drove through, and I was like, oh, my God, what is this? That was funny. <laughs> but, uh, it's not what it looks like at all. Like, it doesn't look like welfare. It doesn't look like taking care of people who need it. It looks like madness. An utter pandemonium. And I don't just say that because there are men in princess hats with screen masks and fringy outfits riding around. I say that because of the shenanigans that are going on. So there is some of that. There is definitely a lot of partying and some craziness. But like you said, that's what's at the heart of it. But there are a lot of other traditions that go along with it as well. They start by the men on horseback charging the house. We mean charging. Like in an outlaw, western sort of way. They run full force through the house, whooping and hollering and making noise. But then when they get there, they start to beg or they start to perform this supplication ritual where they'll do that traditional putting your hand out and pointing to the palm. Very ancient symbol of begging. Right. And and they get on their knees. Yes. 
They crawl around. They, like, lead with their hands together. It's very... And they perform. Right. They'll do, like, improvised skits as well. And they'll take the women of the house and dance with them and flirt with them and tease them and play tricks. They'll climb trees and fences and just act a fool. As they're begging, they go up and they ask for things to put in their gumbo. And they are given things, but people like to make it as hard as possible for them to get them. Yes, it's part of the game. So, like, when they go looking for chicken... They're not looking for Tyson prepackaged leg quarters. All right, hey, Shaq, can you give us some out of the freezer? They want a live chicken. So the former will take the chicken by the feet and throw him in the air amongst all of the men. In their costumes with their princess hats. And the men must chase after the chicken. And before he releases the chicken, sometimes they will dance for the chicken or beg or whatever. They perform their rituals before he releases the chicken. And as he releases the chicken, the chicken runs, and the men chase the chicken, and then someone catches the chicken. And whoever catches the chicken, good on you, you win line. Yeah, that's like a big gold star. And sometimes a really... Industrious. Industrious farmer will have a large pole in their yard. About 30 feet high. Place a chicken in a cage on top. Grease the pole. Grease the pole and... Say, there's your chicken. And watch for a good 20, 30 minutes as... All of these drunken, costumed men attempt to climb a greased 30-foot pole to get to the chicken. And then they get to the chicken, and they don't just get to get the cage off the top. No, they can only open the cage and let the chicken out, at which point it jumps down and runs away from the And goes, holy shit, holy shit, what the hell is going on? And one of my favorite quotes that I read about this is, uh, many participants insist that the animals are not treated cruelly. Well, you know, I, I did read another quote. and A lot of people in Canada, like from the region that the Cajuns are from, are very interested in Cajun culture and Cajun music. One musician in Canada that loves Cajun music decided he was going to have his own little courier with his friends. And they tried to do this. And they were immediately shut down by the police uh, due, <laughs> due to animal cruelty. The chicken ends up in the gumbo. Like, the chicken does not get to go retire to the Rainbow Chicken Reservation. No, ma'am. It's in the gumbo. But, as with all chaos, institutionalized chaos, there is an order to things. When that order is brought on by the Capitan. So, every year, there is a male member of the community who is chosen as the Capitan. It is definitely one of the older members of the group, usually. Or someone that's esteemed in the community. Mm -hmm. And they're not masked. Right. They're not in big elaborate costume. A lot of times they're wearing a cowboy hat. And their job is to keep order. And they're the face of order. In a role-playing kind of way. They're not just, like, actually keeping the men in line. They're representing the establishment. Exactly. The other runners are fighting against that establishment. And the captain has to keep them in line. And you know one way he keeps them in line? How does he keep them in line? With whips. Oh! Whips, like Indiana Jones. I mean, it's a little more play than that, but yes. Whips. So yeah, he'll whip them sometimes, or chastise them, or have to pull them out from a house, or things like that. So they beg, and they charge houses. 
but they also dance. And that's a huge part of it, right? Music and dance. Huge part of that. Huge, huge part. There are tons of traditional Cajun, French, Mardi Gras songs that people will sing and chant, which you kind of heard in the intro. But they'll also have bands coming along in the trailers playing the whole time. What kind of instruments go with Cajun music? Right, so Cajun music has a lot of traditional folk instruments, like the accordion, guitar, triangle, fiddle. Oh, and then, of course, the washboard. Now, that's a folk instrument instrument I've ever I've heard one. That's the best percussion instrument ever. Also, Cajun songs a lot of times are sung in French, right? That's one way the they language is. They almost are always sung in yeah. French, yeah. It's rare to find Cajun music that's not in French. That's one way that the language has survived is through music. Definitely. Because French was banned from being spoken at schools in the 50s. 50s yeah. yeah. That's and that's a terrible travesty. And that's why my grandparents speak French and my parents do not speak French well. And there are members of that generation who have sought it out. All of these crazy ideas and crazy things that people are doing are based on really, really ancient traditions. And by ancient, I mean millennia. We talked about this kind of midwinter festival of sharing and redistribution. And that is a very ancient tradition from before the Catholic Church really got its roots through Europe, but was incorporated as the Catholic Church was great at doing. It took all the stuff that people like to do and said, oh, let's just slap a saint on it or something. <laughs> slap a saint on it. And but, you know, Buddy Jesus, TM Kevin Smith, you know, incorporate it into the Catholic religion. So these things were going on before there was a Catholic church that was really institutionalized. And when the Catholic church wanted to bring people in, they were like, you can keep your stuff if you just call it Catholic. Besides that festival, they did have other festivals where the things were incorporated from, such as the Begging Festival, the Fête de la Commande. And that is really cited as the main major route of Mardi Gras. Okay. So what was that? And so that was the begging festival. Okay. And that is when a lot of people would, the lower class people in France, would go through the countryside wreaking havoc and taking things from the richer people. So like a Robin Hood-esque escapade. Did the rich people kind of know it was coming and it was kind of okay? Or were they actually like pillaging? I think it might have been a little of both. Okay. So many things are. I thought it was fascinating that there's also some association with the Feast of Fools, which was a tradition where roles were reversed in the city, and it was a big festival of play. And they would do things like crown a fool a king. Right, so they would have like an upside-down king, sometimes it's called, or a fool king. And he would go through the day decreeing th ridiculous things and passing judgment on people. And it was just a mockery of the nobility. Right, was it, and it was social order as well, right? So, like, people would assume stations that they didn't really have, and... Right, and you can see that in this traditional Mardi Gras, where people are wearing outfits to look like, like, said, princesses, or bishops, or scholars with the different hats. Okay. Whoa, 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 I don't mean to get all Disney up in here, but wasn't this in Hunchback of Notre Dame? Like, wasn't this depicted in the Disney version of the Victor Hugo novel, which we can discuss how crazy that is that that exists who, on another... Who Greenland? I that? don't know. Who was like, you know what kids love? Victor Hugo. Um, and 
malformed hunchbacks. Yeah, let's let's do that. We'll have an evil bishop, and no one's going to complain about that. Jason Alexander sings as a gargoyle. They gamble in church. It's good times had by all. But yeah, like the Feast of Fools, where Quasimodo gets to be the king. Isn't that the same? Right. That, that's it? That's it. Okay, so that's that's cool. Go watch that clip. Um, or don't. Or don't. You have your options open. And something I, again, thought was interesting as I was reading this is that at one point in history, people were trying to atone for the plagues. So they were regularly flogging people in the streets. And there was a lot of self-harm and harming others. That Right. Flagellation was a really important aspect of uh, Catholicism in this time, especially from a symbolic and festival sense. And people would flagellate themselves and others uh, to atone for the plagues at some times. And this really even has origins, again, in pre-Christian festivals such as Lupercalia, which was a festival, it was kind of a fertility festival, actually. And again, with the whips being... Phalluses again? <laughs> Phallic. Aww. This is what you get when men write history. Phalluses everywhere. In the modern day Mardi Gras, they're still continuing with flagellation rituals. You mean like the playfully whipping the men kind of thing that's happening, right? So in the bigger couriers, it is kind of this playful thing. In some of the smaller ones, it's not as playful. What do you mean? Like, what are they using to hurt people with? Or like hit people with? So in, others, in some, they are using just kind of ropes, rope whips, and soft whipping them. And in some of the smaller couriers, I think it's in Shupak which is a really, really tiny town on the east side of the Chafalai Basin. So it's, like, um, down below the basin, not southwest Louisiana, kind of, like, where your people are from, but more toward New Orleans? It's kind of where, like, Swamp People takes place. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that, not that town, but that area. They really take this a lot more seriously. They're not as much in costume and big uh, outfits like we described, but they go around and they get the children from the houses and use willow branches to beat them uh, until Why? they until they start saying their prayers. No, that's right. This happens in the modern day world. This is not back in the day. They really they're pulling children out of houses and publicly whipping them with willow branches until they say their prayers. Yeah, yeah, seems like it. <laughs> Okay. This is nothing. I did not. This is one of those things. I grew up with the other stuff. This is nothing I'd heard of before seeing the documentary a while back. So I feel like now's a good time to talk about some of the more controversial practices that happen at the Corrier de Mardi Gras. So some of the things that really uh, get in the press is when this, for some reason, comes up every few years. and When people uh, remember Louisiana exists and go, man, that's weird. Well, they remember Louisiana besides New Orleans exists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Every few years, the New York Times, the Atlantic, or GA, or GQ, or somebody sends an intrepid reporter down to Mamu. And you really <laughs> do need to be an intrepid reporter to, to, get, go to, to go to Mamu and not know what the hell you're getting yourself into. They start writing about this. Mm-hmm. And they see these crazy costumes, and they see these kind of offensive things. A lot of men are in drag. Right, but not good drag. Let's. It, like, it's farcical. Yes. On purpose. Yes. They'll be wearing fake breasts outside of their dress, so they'll be wearing dresses and wigs, and they're not trying to look like yeah, women. Yeah, they still have a good beard and stuff hanging out. Like, it's not It's not like they want to be pretty ladies on that day. It's like, wouldn't it be hilarious if I had boobs? Right, drag is really the wrong term. It, it's just... Bad costumes. Yeah, and they're, again, turning things around. 
turning things on their head. Role reversal. I'm going to tell you a lot about why that's so important later. And in some of the smaller communities, if a very intrepid reporter gets in his P-Row and goes down the bayou... To shoot pick and sees children beaten with willow branches? Or to Hathaway. Okay. They'll start to see people in blackface. Like, white people in blackface. White people in blackface. And they are the beggars. And they're the people that are designated as the people to go up to the house and beg for money or things to make the gumbo. Now, I know, as Louisianians, and you as a card-carrying Cajun, and my children as having Cajun names and such, like, I'm supposed to find it in my heart to be like, but it has its place, it's just culture and heritage, but I'm sorry, that's racist. Blackface is never okay. Blackface is never okay. But the concept behind it is no. interesting. No. It's interesting. No. Things can be interesting without being right. Okay, yeah, that's true. I mean, I Google murder. Because you also have the black participants and the black money girl, which is separate, wearing whiteface. Not sure that makes it better. I mean, like... Yeah, so while blackface <laughs> is never right, it, it does lean a little, like, I mean, like a smidgen of credence to that idea that... There's just, it's part of that role reversal. While I'm not going to be like, oh, it's just heritage and tradition, because that makes me sound like I want to wave a rebel flag. It is in context. And there is context for it. There is, you can look at it and say that it's just pretending to be something you're not. But they are putting like the supplication role and it it is, uh, it is, is kind of terrible. It <laughs> is. I mean, like, it just really is. But we started with the tale of the intrepid reporter. So the intrepid reporter comes down. He sees... The cross-dressing or the bad drag. He sees the racism and he writes it up. And He might see some whipping of children. <laughs> he might, if he's lucky, fingers crossed. And he writes it up and he's like, these people are so insane and backwoods and just absolutely crazy. He's not that far off. <laughs> and he's not that far off. A lot of times what is actually there, which is crazy enough, is compounded by the fact that when he's asking questions to these people who are taking part in this ritual, they're fucking with him. No, they are just screwing with him. Like, it is without a doubt, they're going to make it seem even worse because part of it is they're playing a role. And, and they that, don't drop it for anybody. Like, it's, Right. That role is being wild and crazy and being... A, barbaric. Yeah. And being a wild man. Yeah. You know, a lot of times in anthropological research about this, they do reference the wild man motif and that people are playing that wild man role. Right. And so the wild man doesn't care about racism and the wild man doesn't care about sexism. And he is going to tell that man from GQ, oh, yeah, this is racist or whatever. And like, you know, it gets taken even further out of context and amped up even more in reports. And it's very hard to actually get a real sense of where the tradition comes from when you are talking to some guy who is just pulling your chain. It's probably had a lot of whiskey. But one of my favorite quotes from that documentary was from David Ancelay, who's a folklorist who's written a lot about the Corrier. And he said, like, if you pick this whole thing up and moved it to Peoria, Illinois, everyone involved will be arrested within 15 minutes. <laughs> and it's very true. Like, this can only exist in this certain space on this certain day. Because it's accepted by society. Right. It's a time that's set aside. For that kind of insanity. There are a few other really crazy things that they do that relate to that midwinter ritual of bringing life back. Some of that's like they always are climbing trees. Uh-huh. 
And that's thought of as bringing those bright colors back to the tree and the tree being the symbol of life. And there also is a resurrection ritual where someone will act like they've died and they have to bring them back to life and they'll do all sorts of crazy things and CPR and pour drink down his mouth to bring him back to life. And there are other rituals where a man dressed in woman's clothing will deliver a baby. I was with you on the trees, and I could even see you bringing things back to life, bringing life back to the fields. But a mock labor and delivery of a... Yeah, it it gets out there. (laughs) And, like, what do they do? They have, like, a Cabbage Patch baby, and they stand up and, like, love it? Or, like, what do they deliver? Is it, like, a doll? A doll. It's creepy. Dolls are creepy. So one thing I know that you had at LSU a professor that really studied this. Like, she moved down to study this. Yes. Uh, Her name is Carolyn Ware, and she was one of the folklore professors at LSU during my time there. And she's incredibly well-versed in the Corrier. It's her area of study, and in particular, she studies the mask, and she studies women's roles in Mardi Gras and the Corrier. Women have their own runs. They don't run with the men, which probably good considering that the men all beat the shit out of each other. But they do have their own runs. They usually take place on the Sunday before Mardi Gras, which why it's on Sunday is crazy. When did the female runs start? Some people who remember say that women started running in the Corrier around the time of World War II when all the men were gone. And I don't know if that's really true, but I want it to be because it's like the Cajun league of their own and it just makes me want to cry in baseball. There's no crying in the Corrier. I love this idea of the we can do it chat. Rosie the Riveter Cajun edition. I can see how it could be true because Cajun people are fiercely proud of their tradition and culture. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the women who do the runs now say that they just want their kids to know what it is and what it means. These are women from rural Louisiana, and a lot of them will say, it's not a political statement. A lot of them, in fact, say, we're not women's libbers. Right, they make a point of it. Yeah, but they just want to do it, too, and they want their kids to see it. They want their kids to know about it. They don't think the men should have all the fun. They want to have fun, too. And before they were running, they were in support roles. They would make the costumes and make the mask and cook the food. Also have had to be present for a lot of the performances to take place like for the men to have women to dance with when they came to the house and like to offer things to the people and they've always been very involved it's not like oh and the women went and sat inside and the men went and did this we've told you a lot about Cajun Mardi Gras we've mentioned New Orleans Mardi Gras and so I think it's only fair to do like a take a moment and kind of compare and contrast some of the finer points well and that's really makes a lot of sense because where this traditionally comes from is there was the highfalutin high class Mardi Gras centuries ago and then the lower socio class Mardi Gras and those traditions were separate and are what have continued. Okay, so So think of in New Orleans you have the crews mm-hmm. and they are all set up with royalty. So in New Orleans Mardi Gras, they're crews. Crews are responsible for a parade. They ride in the parade and greet the onlookers. They're spectators. Within the crew, each year, they select a king, a queen, and members of the court. Riding the floats and giving away beads and trinkets and things. And you have to pay a lot of money to be in these crews. Compare that with the Corrier, where they're going around and asking for the food or asking for the trinkets. 
where these people riding on flutes are giving them to the commoners down below. You have the king who rides on a float, and really that's kind of what he does. And then you have the capitan who's in charge of keeping everybody in line. One wears a crown and one wears a cowboy hat. And you've got the different gatherings in New Orleans. They have these huge Mardi Gras balls, and they are a sight to see. You know, some of the big ones even take place in the Superdome where the Saints play. Right, and they take place when the parades are going on. The parades will come through the dome. People put on their finest gowns and tuxedos, and they go and they have a night of very refined debauchery. (laughs) And it is, again, like extremely expensive to do. Only the people that could afford it can go. Versus the street festivals that happen in these other small towns, which usually pay, it's either free or you pay a minimal amount of money to get into, and that usually pays for your beer and your food and the music and everything else. And it all goes in the pot. So you have one that's very exclusive, and then you have the one that is necessarily inclusive. There is no such thing as a spectator at the Courier. Right, everyone gets to participate. Everyone is part of the show. And that's important because the festival is something that brings the community together. You might think, oh, I'd like to go and watch, but I wouldn't want to take part in it. That's not an option. Like, if you're standing there with your arms crossed, someone will come and, like, untie your shoes or start to pull your pants down or smear mud on your back. Do something to you to get a reaction and get you involved. And the harder you try to stay apart, the more effort they will put into making sure that you get involved. There are tons of really readily apparent differences when you look at the the more urban celebration versus these incredibly rural traditions. You've talked about what this all represents to the community. There's a real big sense of brotherhood and family and looking out for each other. And that is an important part of it. But there is so much chaos and putting on plays and, and just fooling around. What does that mean? Why are we doing this? Mardi Gras and festivals like it, where society grants permission for people to act outside of their normal roles, could be considered play in an anthropological sense. We all have norms and rules that we adhere to. Now, some of those are discussed out loud, like don't pick your nose. Some of those are just sort of unspoken, like don't go in someone's house without knocking on the door. You know, it may not be something that you're told repeatedly, but you kind of know that you don't do that. Or like... The black-eyed children know that. Yeah. Even black-eyed children know that. In theory, we are all animals that have basic primal urges. And by constraining those urges to fit into society and follow these culturally ascribed rules, we create tension. And in order to relieve that tension, we allow ourselves to play. And play is defined as something that temporarily dissolves the rules. And it functions by channeling the expression and resolution of inner and outer societal conflict and hostility it allows for wit and humor and those ideas foster sense of society or community functions as a safety valve in promoting balance in social relations and it's an index of tension yeah we see all of that in this traditional mardi gras celebration everyone is taking on these other roles and able to in that discuss the societal conflicts that are going on and definitely bringing humor and wit to it for sure right let's go ahead and say 
that this is functioning to relieve social tension created by following the rules all the time and not wanting to. Let's say that's what creates the need for play. Play allows us to talk about the conflicts that we don't address in a normal situation. It allows us to poke fun of our betters and our not-so-betters and get away with it. It allows us to build relationships with people that we might not otherwise have access to in a normal setting. It also acts as a really finely calibrated gauge of what's on everyone's mind. So you see a lot of that in Mardi Gras when people do like political satire on floats or, you know, dress as politicians and And their entire crews in the you know, New Orleans and Baton Rouge parades where that's what they do. But in the Corée they'll have effigies of presidents or candidates or terrorists. Or terrorists and beat them and burn them. You know, on a large scale you can see people bringing societal issues into this, but you can also see them letting off some of the tension or pressure created by racism in the South with this blackface. They're saying at this point, if they're still doing it, they're expressing and airing something. They're saying there's tension here and they're calling attention to it and maybe not working all the way through what it means. But you don't do that and not know. That you're doing something a little taboo. Right. There's something wrong with this. Just a Story Podcast does not <laughs> support blackface. Support blackface. <laughs> For any occasion. Right, and you see the same thing expressed in the cross-dressing or the drag or whatever you want to call it. You know, you see the, the tensions between women and men and needing to be masculine or feminine and kind of that separation of roles. I would be very interested to know when that practice became really institutionalized. It'd be interesting to see how that lines up with the women's movement. You even have the play between establishment and the rebels and the capitan and the soldat and the beggars like you you see that the need to rebel and the need to enforce and the need to get away with something played out all mammals play it's a it's a pretty uniquely mammalian thing but across the board the young play and going back to what we talked about last week in that extended adolescent period humans hold on to it a lot longer than other mammals right because play is a way that we learn how to act in society or, or for mammals how to act in their group or how to hunt and by having a more complex social structure it requires more play mm-hmm. more time to learn how you're going to fit into that society and one big part of play is humor and a lot of humor works by pairing binary opposites and that's a little bit of what we talked about with like playing the other where you have the poor people pretending to be scholars and popes and all of this that is always been a source of humor and i think that there's something about the idea that you have this party the absolute height of the carnal if you will the day before fasting and the most serious time in the catholic calendar they are binary opposites and how could that not explode in this joke i think you can even see the binary opposition in mardi gras and lent they're the exact opposite yeah that's what i'm saying and this is the day you know this is the day when it changes you go from absolute celebration to absolute repentance you got to go get your ashes you have to right and these parties end at midnight and this actually rolls over in new orleans too there are not late parades on tuesday on tuesday 
Because the next day, you need to go to bed, sleep through your hangover, and you've got to go to church. And you need to get your ashes. And you need to start repenting. This is a day of play before your day of don't you dare play. And it's the same whether you're, the themes are the same, whether you're in New Orleans or in you're in Timamu. So the themes might be the same. But after hearing this, I hope that when you have a friend tell you, oh, they're going down to the real Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Don't. That's just a story. May I know about the real Mardi Gras?